Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am thrilled you are here again with me this week. I know you made a commitment in the beginning of the year to be here week after week to get those leadership tips, to get the helpful advice, and to really determine an action plan for yourself to put the insights into action that you hear from every episode. And this is definitely not an episode you're going to want to miss. Today, I invite Dr. Heather Backstrom on the show, and she's an executive coach that I met through the LA chapter of the International Coaching Federation. Through various conversations, we realized we had a lot in common. Heather is someone who is passionate about cultivating empowered women leaders. She's coached and worked with women leaders in many industries, including finance, biotech, retail, municipalities, aerospace, healthcare, as well as uh, many nonprofits. One thing I love about Heather is her zest for life. And so when there isn't a pandemic going on, she really enjoys traveling. She's floated on the Dead Sea. She's walked on the Great Wall of China. And she's also flown in a hot air balloon over Stockholm. So cool. I cannot wait for the pandemic to be over to where we can start traveling again, my husband and I, because all of those sound amazing. And I haven't done any of those. So I'm excited to have Heather on the show today. And today she's talking about collaborative confidence. I had never heard it before. And you know, once you hear something, you're like, yes, that just sounds right. Well, Heather is here to tell you all about collaborative confidence. I'm sure we can all think about those situations, whether it be at work, where we're working in a group, or whether it be in your community, if you're doing some volunteer work, if you're on a board. We all have those situations where we're working in a team and all of a sudden you can feel that synergy and you can feel that collaboration and you can feel yourself getting more confident because the team is doing so much more than you could do for yourself. And imagine if that is all women. It's even more powerful to see the power of what women can do when they're working together and growing together and supporting each other. And if that type of situation really fires you up and gives you energy and lights your soul on fire, then please sign up for either our Women Leading Powerfully Leadership Lab, which the last one is starting on September 20th. So email me at natalie at com, or we have our in-person retreat, which is October 8th through the 10th. It's at the beautiful Terranea Resort in Rancho Palos Verdes. It's going to be an entire weekend of doing exactly what Heather is talking about building this collaborative confidence, helping us decide what's next after the pandemic, where do we want to go, and doing it in a group of women who are amazing. I already know many of the women that have signed up, and they are incredible women who just being in their space and in their energy will give you that confidence to take the next step and to really put into action things you didn't even think were possible for yourself. So if you're interested in that, you can also reach out to me via email, and I'm happy to have a conversation with you to see if it's a good fit. I can't even tell you how excited we are about putting on this first inaugural retreat 
which is called Connext. It's about connection and deciding what's next. So without further ado, I really want to dive into the conversation and let you listen to the interview I had with Heather. And I want you to think about one thing as you listen to this interview. How can you put collaborative confidence into action? And how can you amplify another woman's voice in the workplace or in a volunteer organization, wherever you may be working in a group? How can you amplify her voice? So I want you to think about that as you listen to the episode. And let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Heather Backstrom. Here we go. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. All right, Heather, happy Friday. I'm so grateful you are here with me today. Hey, I can't think of a better place to be. I'm super happy to be here too. How fun to wrap up the week and start the weekend. I know. Well, I'm so grateful we're doing this together and would love for you just to start off by sharing a little bit about yourself, your career history, and why you do what you do and why you love it. Perfect. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So my uh, pre-coaching history is I come out of corporate, corporate HR, and I worked at some pretty large organizations for a long time. And I loved it for quite a while. And then I started feeling a bit um, like there was something else. And I found coaching and that really intrigued me. And I was really interested in leadership development and working with teams, which I enjoyed as when I was doing human resources. But it's just when I discovered coaching, then I really knew that leadership development, team development, coaching, that type of work was really what fed my soul. Mm -hmm. And over the years, and it did take me years, it was like a dimmer switch. It wasn't a light switch. But over the years, I pursued that kind of work. I got a doctorate in organizational leadership from Pepperdine. I became a professional certified coach, got some other certifications. Long story short, eventually many, many years later, I quit my corporate work without a single client and became a full-time executive coach. So that's what I do today. Yes. And... I love your story and I appreciate you sharing the background on it. And I like that you say, you know, it was a dimmer switch because I think so many people have this expectation that all of a sudden they're supposed to wake up one day and just realize what their passion is and realize what they're supposed to be doing. And I love how you shared, you know what? It just, it became brighter and more illuminated as time went on. I really figured it out because I have a lot of listeners who, most of them are in corporate who are maybe thinking about doing something different and and maybe making a transition or a pivot in their careers. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that we should just we should just know. Right. We should just know and we should we should just do it. And and for me, so yes, it was a dimmer switch. It it took many years. And when it finally happened, 
it was a full blown light switch. Like I just quit and it was like jumping into an empty swimming pool. I, I'd never been self-employed before. Didn't have a single client, didn't have a prospect lined up. I literally had nothing. So when I quit my corporate job, um, it was, uh, it was it w- after that slow, long dimmer switch, it was pretty extreme. <laughs> yeah. So you went, you went from slow to just jumping off the cliff. What gave you the courage or, or what was the impetus behind that? Well, sometimes uh, we need a little courage kicked in our butt. And that's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> and I, at that point, I was working in heat. So I was still in human resources. I was working in a field that was no longer satisfying to me. And quite frankly, was very depleting. And I was in a corporate environment that was equally de- depleting. So it was not a good combination for me. And it definitely wasn't a good combination for the company either to have somebody who you know, is, is depleted trying to perform work for them and, and so forth. And the, the kick in the butt was I made a mistake at work and I owned up to that mistake and I received a written warning for that mistake and fully acknowledged it and signed the written warning. And that was the, the kick in the butt between feeling so depleted and having that mistake followed by a written warning I was just done. And at that point, I had said to, I said to myself that I refused to lay on my deathbed and say, I didn't try. So thinking ahead and and thinking about that scene and that I, there's just no way I was going to lay on death on my deathbed and say, I didn't try. I quit my job because I knew I could at least say I tried how well it worked or didn't work, I could at least say that I tried, I gave it a shot, I pursued what I was passionate about, and what made me happy. And I didn't want to have that regret at the end of my life. Mm, So powerful. I've talked about that on the podcast before. There was actually um, a book written, and I, I don't remember if it's six or nine, but it's the six or nine regrets of the dying. Mm. And one of them is that, that I didn't try. I, I literally didn't try what I wanted to try and, or I didn't do work that was going to fulfill me. And I didn't take that risk, you know, that one risk. And here I'm laying on my deathbed. And you know, it's so interesting. I've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, my husband's a therapist and he's helped people prepare for death who have had cancer, who have you know, or, or maybe just elderly and they never sit and say, Oh, I'm so thankful for my big house and my, all the money in the bank and all of those things. What they do talk about is are the things that are alignment to them, their family and the things that mean most, the most to them. And they also do talk about the regrets that they wish they would have taken, the risks that they would have taken in life and the chances. So I celebrate you in. In doing that, because I know, I know the courage that takes, I know the boldness that takes. And so, you know, I just celebrate that because you are really embodying what I talk about on the podcast of really leading your life and taking charge of your life and being intentional about how you want to live out your legacy and potentially at the end, not living with regret. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, and hopefully your listeners are, 
are, are thinking about their own lives and the changes that they want to make. And if, if my story sparks something for someone else, that's very gratifying for me. Well, and by the way, I'm going to have to get that book that you mentioned because I want to read it now. I want to know yes. what else. And look, I want to look at more facets of my life and more parts of my life yeah. uh, beyond well, that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we met is we're consummate learners. We met at the International Coaching Federation LA chapter. And one of the things that really connected us was, you know, our love of learning. We met in a, in a program that we were taking together on positive intelligence and all about taming those inner critics and those inner saboteurs in our heads. I just did a whole series on that in the podcast, or I did a couple episodes on about that in the podcast. And one of the things that we talked about was this book that you're writing as we were sharing. And it's something near and dear to my heart. And I'm, I can't wait for you to talk about it. So you're writing a book called Collaborative Confidence. So I would love for you to share with us what collaborative confidence is and the inspiration behind you writing the book. Sure. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So this is, other than my dissertation, this is my first book. And I am working with a, uh, a, a writing coach and a self-publisher. And she asked me if I'd ever written a book before. And I said, well, no, I've written a dissertation, but writing a book has got to be a lot more fun than that. <laughs> <laughs> so the the idea of collaborative confidence just came to me probably about a year and a half ago. Uh, it just literally came out of intuition or uh, out of thin air. I, that, that's really not accurate because it came from somewhere, but it wasn't that I was sitting down and doing research or trying to figure out what kind of a book to write or what topics need to be explored. Nothing like that. I was just thinking about women and leadership and I coach a lot of women. One of my passions is cultivating empowered women leaders. And this idea of collaborative confidence, as I said, just came over me. The, the meaning of it is that I, as a woman, am responsible for my own confidence. And as a woman, I have responsibility toward your confidence and building your confidence and vice versa. So there's reciprocity there. I focus and build my own. I also have attention and care toward your confidence and support you and yours. And you do the same for me. So there's this this mutual benefit behind the concept of collaborative confidence. So that's the idea that came in my head. And from that, I created a collaborative confidence coaching program for women leaders. And from that, I created a collaborative confidence workshop for women leaders. And from there, it just seemed like the next natural step was to write a book about it. So that's where I am right now. I'm in the midst of writing the book and it will come out sometime next year in 2022. Well, we are super excited about the book. I know I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, I've been lucky enough that you've shared the table of contents with me and the different sections of the book. So I'm curious to know if you could share with the listeners, you know, the basic pillars around what the content, how the content is going to flow in the book. Sure. Yes. So there's four pillars to collaborative confidence. There's activate, ascend, amplify, and accelerate. So those are the four pillars. 
And the activate pillar is all about being more self-aware and heightening your self-awareness, including your thoughts, your feelings, your physical reactions. Those are all full of information. And we often just kind of let our thoughts go by the wayside or we ignore our feelings. And we definitely, and when I say we, I include me in all of this, we definitely include our physical sensations and our body is so full of wisdom. And by paying attention to our thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations, that's one way of raising your self-awareness. Self-awareness also goes to the critics that you mentioned, those internal critics that jab and gnaw at us, our saboteurs, our gremlins, different different names that they can be called, that um, gnaw at us and that criticize us and tell us we're not good enough. And raising your awareness around those internal voices so you can actually quiet them down. Not to turn up the volume, but it's actually meant to turn down the volume. So that's just a a bit about the first pillar of Activate. And something really interesting that I found in writing this chapter and doing research is that there's a researcher um, out of Harvard Business or Yeah, she's from Harvard Business uh, School, and she's written many books for Harvard Business Review. Tasha Urich. And in her research around self-awareness, what she has found, and she's has uh, looked at 5,000 different people in her, in her research, mm-hmm. and what she's found, only 10 to 15% of people are actually self-aware. Wow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So for a woman to, to kind of amplify her leadership, Raising her self-awareness is a great way to do that. She can stand out from the crowd by raising her self-awareness because the other leaders, at least according to Tasha Urich's research, likely aren't so self-aware. Yeah. And, you know, I think it it speaks so much, her research, the data speaks so much to, I think, what we see just on a daily basis of, you know, people just being on autopilot. Yes. Yeah. Right. Just kind of not being super aware of how they're showing up, how they affect other people. And that is a serious disadvantage to to us specifically as women. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And just to kind of go through life on autopilot. And if you're not aware of your behaviors, your thoughts, um, your habits, it really can uh, hold you back. Yeah, yeah. And I know also you talk in that first section about your core values too, and how those are so important to be really aware of as a compass for our decision making, you know, just in general. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Core values, you know, they really feed our fulfillment, our happiness. They feed our, our spirit. And, and, and when your values aren't clear, then, you're really, you're not as equipped, in my opinion, to really live that really value, that, that really fulfilling, happy life. And when you know what your core values are, then that gives you the opportunity to, to pursue those passions and to live your life in a fulfilling way that's meaningful personally to you. And then when your values are true to who you are, I mean, they're, when they're very clear, I should say, when your values are very clear, then when you bump up against adversity, as we all do, they're your anchor that holds you in place, that keeps your feet planted firmly 
on the ground, even when the noise and the distractions and the adversity is swirling around you and wants to yank you off your feet. Mm-hmm. You're planted clearly and solidly in your in your core values. You won't be yanked off your feet. That's mm. so true, Heather. And I appreciate what you're saying. Looking back, you know, kind of in your own personal experience, would you say the the job that you that you left, would you say that was in alignment with your core values or were there were there things in that role that were kind of violating or dishonoring your core values? I think as I look back on my whole career, you know, even early on in human resources, I enjoyed helping other people and I started in re- in the recruitment arena. And I was able to, you know, use my values of service and help and building relationships in my work. And I was able to do that actually throughout most of my human resources work. Now, as I continued in corporate and worked at various different places, it actually became harder and harder because of the the job itself. You know, I was doing layoffs and uh, investigations and terminations and writing people up. So it became harder to do that. And I still tried to find ways to have my values be part of my everyday work. And it it, it was hard. And sometimes I was really searching in those nooks <laughs> and crannies trying to find a little spot. But one example I will never forget I was uh, working at a at a hospital and I hadn't been there for too long as the HR manager. And we did an investigation of a particular employee. The findings were, uh, you know, that we ended up terminating this person. And I had to be present when her office, she was cleaning up her office and, and took her to her car. And she actually gave me a hug and she actually thanked me for how I had treated her during this really horrible experience for her. Mm. And I'll never forget that because even in such a terrible situation, I think my values of, of, of recognizing another person's humanity was still able to, to be there and, and to show up for her. Sure. And that's such a beautiful example of how even in adverse times, we can call on our core values. Sometimes we have to be really intentional about thinking about how do I call on my core values right now to show up in this situation? But they really do become the compass for exactly what you're saying. You know, how how am I going to choose to show up in this situation that's really difficult right now? So I love that story and I appreciate you sharing that. So talk about the second pillar of the book. Yes, ascend. So that pillar is about building your skills. So now that you're aware and have um, become part of that 10 to 15% of people who have self-awareness, now let's focus on your skills, such as like building your emotional intelligence, strengthening your executive presence, and communicating with impact. So those are the topics that we'll be exploring in the ascend pillar that I, that I think speaks to leadership for all leaders. I think those topics really speak particularly for women leaders. And so those are, that's why for the ascend section that we're focusing in on emotional intelligence, executive presence and communicating with impact. 
Mm-hmm. So you bring up a good point, not, not to derail because I want you to talk about the third and fourth pillar as well, but you bring up a good point around, you know, this speaks specifically to women, right? It's, it's helpful for all, but specifically to women in, the, in these particular topics for the second pillar. And I'm curious, why do you think that there is such a need for collaborative confidence, in particular with women versus men? Is it just something that men are more naturally wired for or good at? Or, you know, what kind of what are your thoughts there between the difference of collaborative confidence between men and women? So my thought on collaborative confidence specifically for women is there's been articles and books and written about and podcasts, I'm sure talked about women in the workplace competing with each other. And I wanted to have a different narrative. And yes, that may exist. And that's not really something you hear about men, you know, men competing with each other. Um, I mean, maybe competing for results and competing for, you know, power or something, but not, it's not described in the same way, competition Mm -hmm. for men that it is for women. So again, I just wanted to give a different narrative or widen the story uh, beyond this idea of women competing with each other. So that's why Collaborative Confidence is really a, a book that's written more for women. I hope men will be able to find value in it. But that's really why it's written for women to give all of us, including myself, a wider lens, a different narrative to look at, to consider when we think about women working with women. Mm, I absolutely love that. And I think it's so needed because like you said, I think there there is a, a wider story and I think there is a broader narrative. And I love that you're bringing that to the forefront of the conversation and you're expanding everyone's views, both men's and women's views around some of these, um, you know, maybe misconceptions that happen in the workplace. And like you said, you're offering a different narrative and a different way of looking at it. Yeah. And, and maybe if you don't mind, we can jump to the third um, pillar, Amplify, because there's a story that I think so, I'm so inspired by it. And it so illustrates exactly what I hope to convey in this book Perfect. about women and women supporting each other. And it's where the Amplify pillar and it's this pillar is called Amplify because of this story. So it comes out of the Obama White House, and this has been written in newspapers and Washington Post and so forth. So it's a well-known, or it's a story you can find. And so in his first term, two-thirds of his top aides were male and one-third were women. And as not to be unexpected when uh, women come to, to meetings, uh, you know, their voices often can be kind of over, uh, not, not heard. And so the women of the Obama, of his first administration, White House, were noticing that it was just hard for them to, to get their voice in, in a meeting, that the, what they said was overlooked or someone else got credit for. They just couldn't, you know, it's not that they couldn't speak up in meetings, but they just weren't being heard. Sure. So, so the women actually got together and they came up with a strategy that they named amplification. And what they decided is that every time a woman said something in a meeting, another woman would make sure to repeat it or to endorse it or to give credit back to that first woman. In other words, they would amplify each other. Oh, my gosh. I absolutely love that. I literally have goosebumps right now that you shared that story. That is incredible. 
such a great example of how to activate collaborative confidence in the workplace. And so let's talk about the fourth pillar of the book. Yes. So the fourth pillar is accelerate. And this is the the bigger visionary pie in the sky, but we can get to that pie. No problem. But it's, it's about the bigger part of women in leadership and driving that change with, with women leaders and how I believe and this may seem lofty, but how I believe the world can literally change because of women's leadership. And just a a couple of examples. One that comes to mind, we're in COVID right now, and you may have read articles about certain women leaders throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And those countries have navigated the COVID crisis more successfully. Now, I will admit that The articles I've read are a few months old, so I don't have a comparison point to today. But, you know, countries like New Zealand and Germany and Finland that are all run by women leaders, they've had greater success in terms of of quelling, you know, COVID and dealing Mm -hmm. with it. And it's been shown that part of the reason that these women have been more effective is because of the empathetic and the compassionate and the supportive style that they naturally bring to their leadership. Now, they're still tough as nails, no doubt, you know, and they are still they are still results oriented and they are not wilting flowers and they are compassionate, they are empathetic and they are understanding. So that example, I hope, illustrates how I believe the world can literally change, companies can change, by infusing and deliberately elevating women into high levels of leadership. I couldn't agree with you more. It's why I get up and do what I do every day, because I literally know that when I'm impacting a woman, she's going and impacting many other women and those women are going to go and it has this ripple effect. And I literally have this philosophy that I am and, you know, will continue to change the world one woman at a time. Absolutely. It's what gets me up every single day. It really is. So I'm curious to know, what are your thoughts about women who aren't in official leadership positions? Um, How can we still inspire collaborative confidence if we're maybe not in a leadership position. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I know I've been talking about leadership. We both have been talking about leadership Mm -hmm. and framing it this whole time. And the, and the book, frankly, it's, it is framed as a leadership book for women. Sure. And I think the principles hold the same, no matter if you label yourself a leader or you don't. The, the, the principles of your self-awareness and your values and quieting your critics and looking for opportunities to elevate and to amplify other women. I, I think that can be done at, at any age, in any role, at, at any level, regardless of job title or industry or experience or anything else. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And what you're saying is so true. We are all leaders, whether it's positional or not. 
We all have leadership positions. I don't care if you're a mom who is primarily taking care of children, you're leading those children. If you're a, a line worker in a plant, you are still have people that are looking up to you and still inspired by the work that you do. And, you know, we all have leadership. We all show up every day as leaders, no matter what our position is. So I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm curious to know, you know, do you have any specific examples in your time in corporate with either positive experiences of collaborative confidence or on the flip side, have you had any challenges where you wish collaborative confidence would have been in play? Yes, there are a few examples that that come to my mind, some that come from my more current work as an executive coach and some that come from, from corporate. So thinking more currently, I can think of specific conversations I've had with other coaches, uh, women coaches specifically, who say had a proposal that they wanted to submit for, but didn't quite feel like they were ready or hadn't quite worked with that kind of a, a client before and talking with them and helping them see that, oh, they actually have worked with that kind of a client before, or this experience they have does translate to this proposal and this opportunity. Now I can even take it personally to me because I'm not immune to any of this either. And I'm still building my you know confidence or my, my belief in myself where I had an opportunity recently to do a facilitation work with a nonprofit. And it's a, it's a little different than the kind of work that I often do, but not outside the, you know, the scope of my capability. Although the little tiny critical voice, well, I shouldn't say the tiny critical voice, the loud (laughs) critical voice inside of me was telling me, Oh, Heather, you've not really done this work really before, kind of, but not really. Long story short, I ended up talking with a, a couple of colleagues. And they were able to support me and to help me see that my experience really does translate to this particular opportunity and proposal. What happened in the story, I ended up um, getting the proposal. It's actually a colleague and I were both working on this facilitation together, and I'm super excited about that. So I just offer that up as an example where I had self-doubt, where I wasn't sure about myself. And I was able to turn to some female friends and not that I was looking for them to talk me out of it, but I was just help. I I needed some help in seeing what was in front of me and was I seeing it clearly or was I seeing it with murky lenses? And I guess I was seeing it with a murky lens. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I think we all, I think that's a great segue into the power of coaching. You know, not that we're necessarily talking about that specifically as the topic today, but it's why you and I both do what we do, because sometimes our individual lenses do get foggy. We don't have a clear picture. And sometimes a coach can really offer us the ability to get clarity and to see ourselves in a different light and to mirror back what the truth is, and and also mirror back some of the opportunities for us where we have blind spots. And we can't do that alone. I mean, you as a coach are doing that, right? Yourself with other colleagues. I do that. I do that with you. I've asked you for, uh, you know, (laughs) we've done that with each other. And it's one of the most beautiful parts of coaching that I absolutely love. I knew it when I stepped into day one of my coaching program, 
I was like, where have these people been my entire life? Because for all intents and purposes, you and I are competitors. Myself and Lori, myself and Lori Tab, my business partner, we are actually competitors. But it's so interesting how if I just had my corporate mindset on, I wouldn't have been able to reframe that. And I have completely reframed my idea. I don't see you as a competitor. I see you as a collaborator where we both build each other's confidence. So we're literally living the collaborative confidence in play. You know, we, we do it with each other. You and I have meetings where we talk about different proposals and clients and, and whatnot and how we'll handle things. And it's such a beautiful example. And I love your example that you brought up too. It's just a beautiful example of how for all intents and purposes on the surface, we are all competitors. But the collaboration between all of us leads to so much of a better holistic outcome for not only ourselves, but for our clients as well, if we really, truly collaborate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and as you and I have spoken before, there's plenty for everyone. There is abundance. There is abundance. It exists and it, and it is available to, to all of us and to every single person. And I believe the more that we collaborate, the more we build each other up, the more we help each other through tough situations or narrow thinking. Um, I just think it actually cultivates even more abundance. The more we engage in collaborative confidence, collaborative support, collaborative, you know, challenges, it all just continues to, to, to blossom and to build and creates even greater opportunities for all of us, because then you can see things in a whole different perspective. Then your, your mindset has changed how you view yourself has changed, how you view the the world and other people have changed. So when, when your own narrative has changed and your way of looking at yourself or at a situation has changed, that is, that's a version of abundance in my mind, in my mm-hmm. thought. It's growth. It's, it's expansion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know in the last part of your book, you talk about one of the segments is talking about building professional environments where women leaders can thrive. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about this because, you know, coming from a corporate environment, I was that I was in for 27 years, which was in a very highly male dominated field. I'm curious, how as women do we change those type of environments so women leaders can thrive? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it, there, it's, it's challenging. And I think there's a few different angles around this and speak to at least a couple of them. One is part of our earlier conversation was about some characteristics that tend to, that women tend to have an affinity for. And again, I want to say tend because I don't want to paint all women the same, but speaking toward those, those tendencies of compassion and empathy and support and for organizations to show value of those, you know, to, to, to um, endorse those and to want more of those as part of their corporate culture. It's not just drive for results and bottom line. That can get you short-term gains, absolutely. If you're in it for the longer haul, then incorporating values like compassion and empathy can help help with that long-term haul. So there's that angle. Then I think there's also the stake in the ground angle where companies and 
specifically male leaders, let's just say it, companies are run by men and specifically white men, where companies have to put a stake in the ground and say, no, we are going to have a diverse workforce. We are going to have a workforce, not just a workforce, but a leadership in in our leadership ranks. We are going to have diverse leadership ranks of all genders and all ethnic backgrounds. And I'll give you something that illustrates the challenge related to this. And it comes out of a McKinsey study from 2019, and it's called the Broken Rung, which maybe you've heard of before. I haven't, actually. I'm curious. Yes. So it's called the Broken Rung. And what the McKinsey study shows is that for the sixth year in a row, and this study that I'm referring to came out in 2019. So for the sixth year in a row, women continue to lose ground at the first step of becoming a manager. What that means, according to the McKinsey research, is that for every 100 men who are promoted to manager, only 85 women are promoted. So even at our most entry level, if you will, uh, ranks of leadership, men already have, you know, big gains on women. They're, they're, they're three quarters of the way around the track and the the gun hasn't even gone off for the women to start running when 85% of women are promoted, but a hundred percent of men are promoted into, into manager ranks. And it's even worse when we look at women of color. So the, the rung is broken, broken, broken for women of color. And I believe that companies have to take a stand. They have to look at their values. And if they have values that state certain things, then live by those values literally in terms of and including your leadership ranks, your management ranks, and deciding that no, we're not going to operate like this any longer. We're not going to look like this any longer. And we are going to take active steps to be different. And active steps is not just changing, say, an HR policy. It's about changing the culture in the organization. So the challenge is for corporations to step up and to create changes. Absolutely. It has to start at the top and it has to be woven throughout the entire company culture. Like you're saying, it can't just be an HR initiative. Otherwise, it's just it's not authentic at that point. It's not authentic and nor is it impactful. Exactly. It's not authentic. It's not impactful. And and leaders in companies have to have the courage to step up and say no. So, you know, maybe this maybe it doesn't come from the board or the CEO or, you know, executive vice president or what have you. But somewhere in those decision-making levels, even if it's an individual person who says, no, we're going to broaden this search, or no, I'm going to encourage women to apply, Mm -hmm. or no, I'm going to start cultivating relationships with XYZ, you know, association or XYZ university that will bring in diverse candidates, including women. Or we're going to search outside and we're going to search in a different way. Or we're going to look inside, but we're going to look in a different way. Companies have to have to frankly have the balls and stand up and do it. I completely agree with you. And the last segment of the book is really, and we, we spoke about it briefly, of transforming the world through strong female leadership. So 
it's a great way to kind of segue to the close of our conversation. What do you think is possible? Well, what I hope is possible is that the Fortune 500 list, as an example, keeps changing and changing and looks a lot different than it does right now. And the 2021 list is better than it's been, Mm -hmm. which is great. And we just need to keep, for instance, nudging it, you know, nudging it in that, that direction. So as an example, the 2021 Fortune 500 list for the first time, the number of women running a Fortune 500 business hit a record high of 41 women. Wow. <laughs> we need that number a lot higher, but that's good. Yes. You know, represents eight, 8% of the list. So, okay. And for the first time, we have some Black women who are on the Fortune 500 list, and they include Roz Buer from Walgreens Boots Alliance, and they also include Cassandra Brown Dunkett from TIA. So it's great to see women like them and other women like them on, on the list. But what, so what's possible is that the little girls, the teenage girls can at some point, you know, they'll, they'll be able to look up and they'll be able to say, I can be a CEO. I, I, there's nothing that can stop me. And when, and, and little girls right now can say that about being the vice president of the United States, which is amazing. Such, so amazing. such an inspiration. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I can be a congresswoman. There are more women in Congress today than ever. So what's possible is for little girls everywhere to know strongly inside of themselves that they can be and do literally anything that they want and that they're capable of. And what's possible is that women more and more and more will change their own narrative and will create a work experience that isn't based on the old notion of competitiveness with each other, but is based on this new narrative of amplification, support, collaboration, looking out for each other, standing up for each other, and making a difference for each other. Mm, Heather, so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. One of the big things I talk about on the podcast is turning insights into action. So I'm curious, you, you just ended that so beautifully, but I'm curious, is there any insight that we talked about today that you would encourage the women listening to take action on within the next week or two uh, to make a difference, to inspire, activate, and or amplify uh, collaborative confidence? Absolutely. As coaches, we're all about action, aren't we? <laughs> we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So a, a few thoughts come to mind is one for every woman and every person listening to this podcast is to think about one thing they can amplify about themselves and make a commitment to that. So what is one thing in the next meeting that you go to or in the next interaction that you're in? What is one thing you can do to amplify yourself? Maybe it's, I will amplify myself from rather than sitting in the back of the room, I will sit in the front of the room. Mm -hmm. And I know many of us are working remotely right now. So maybe take that to the virtual space. Instead of waiting for other people to speak, I will make sure that I am among the first three people who say something in a meeting. Yeah. 
So that would be one action is to look at yourself and what is one way you can amplify yourself. Mm-hmm. And then one action toward another woman. Pick one woman in your life and think about how you can amplify her. Maybe you can invite her to a conference that you're attending. Maybe you can encourage her to join a project team or to put put her name in the hat for a promotion. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you can include her in some work that you're doing. You can also um, amplify her in meetings. You can encourage her to speak up. You can repeat what she said. You can give her credit just like the Obama women. So you can amplify her publicly in front of other people. So those are two actions that I would recommend self-amplification and other amplification. Perfect. I think that is perfect. I have so appreciated this conversation. Thank you for your words of wisdom. We cannot wait for the book to come out. Yay, thank you. Yes, absolutely. And we will have your information in the show notes. And so if people want to learn more about you, you we'll put your website in there and your contact information. And Heather, just thank you again for, for your your impactful work that is truly making a difference in the world. I so appreciate it. I know we're on a similar mission to really impact this world through amplifying and accelerating women in the workplace. So again, thank you for taking the time to be here. I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. It's been a delight. It's been wonderful. So I appreciate you. Thank Thank you. you. And have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Oh, 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 oh,